You're listening to Within Tolerance, a podcast for machinists by machinists. I'm your host, Dylan Jackson of Proteum Machining, and this week I am joined by Seth Mador of Liberty Machine. Welcome, Seth. Hey, Dylan. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm glad we could finally make it work. I know that you are absolutely slammed with work, which is great. <laughs> I mean, I think that most people in manufacturing right now seem to be seeing a boom, so I'm really glad we could make it work. Yeah, it's been... Um... So I've I've run my shop for about seven years now. I've been a machinist for 22 years, and I don't think I've had less than a 60-hour week in the last seven years. Uh, <laughs> it's it's a, it's a blessing and a curse. There's work to be had. The work that I do is very specific, very unique. I don't post about it a lot on Instagram because it's NDA stuff and it's military and it's so my, my customers have some contracts high up in the food chain of certain defense areas, and I'm their only subcontractor that they use for this sort of work. They they field about 18 or 20 different subcontractors, and apparently no one else is up to the task, even to the point where there's work that they give me that they don't that they can't run in house because of their labor pool. Wow. So it's 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 nice. It it gives me bragging rights. It doesn't pay a lot more than any other work I've done. So sometimes it's like, ah, eh, it's good. Every now and again the ch- the challenge is like I don't want this challenge anymore. Right. <laughs> so so yeah, I have a, a machine shop. I've been in business for 7 years. I've been full-time for 5. I work out of my home. I started in a 900 square foot garage and I bought a <clears throat> an old 1982 Matsura as my first machine. I worked that for a few years to come up with the money for a, a down payment on the the Mori that I bought. So I have my second machine was a DMG Mori Dura Vertical. Beautiful. Which machine. might be where people know you best from, at least on Instagram, is yep. the, the man who built a building around his machine. Absolutely. You gotta you gotta do what you gotta do. And it was at no step of the way was it like, you know, I should just move and be, because the the investment costs to put a a building around a machine was extremely a lot cheaper than just relocating and taking on the payment of a of a of a lease. <clears throat> and so I put a building around the Mori and eventually the Matsura moved out. I brought in the Kitamura and then benches moved around and then I brought in the Dusan Lynx twin spindle lathe beautiful machine by the way and so i've been full-time for five years i have one employee and it it works out really well we keep going five days a week he does 43 hours i do a lot more than 43 (laughs) (laughs) well let's get into your backstory you you said you've been a machinist for you know quite some time so how did you get into the trade share as much as you want oh geez so 22, 23 years ago, I was machining was not my first interest. I, I had an, an, an interest in making things. I loved tinkering, gunsmithing, other exotic weapon modifications. Automo- automotive was a huge hobby for me, mountain bikes, stuff like that. But I, I was dead set on moving through the ranks of law enforcement. I, I had a love affair with, you know, crime thrillers and, you know, good guy, bad guy thing. And, you know, how the FBI tracked down this kingpin. And so I I had this infatuation with getting into law enforcement. And then I met a girl and she was (laughs) like, she meant more to me than any idea of a future profession did. And it's like, do I really want to be doing this? And I, I, I knew that, you know, law enforcement had they had families, they had wives, they had sons, they had kids, but it, it just didn't sit well with me to pursue that with the passion that I had. And so I, I put some thought into it, and her brother was a, is a machinist, and he showed me around the shop one day, and it's like, holy shit, you can make stuff like this, and this is so cool. And so, so I was like, all right, that's it, changing careers. I didn't have any money into my other career, so it didn't matter. It was just this idea on a piece of paper, and 
I, I had no serious attachment to it. Pissed off my parents, but hey, because <laughs> they had already built up in their head that their son was going to be, you know, FBI director. You, you know how parents can be with kids, and right. So <clears throat> that that took a, that took several years for them to get over that trauma of a switch. So I, I went into machining. My first shop I was at was manual machine shop. <laughs> the owner was so. Oh, CNC is a fad. CNC, you know, manuals where it's at, <laughs> and it's like, you know, this is you know, ninety nine, ninety eight, ninety nine, and it's like, uh, dude, no, it's not. And so I, I lasted there for about a few years. There was a huge benefit to the manual side of things in that you really learned how to make parts. You know, there's there's a trope among non-machinists that you know the CNC machine you just load a part push a button and boom there you go, and th- th- when you're at a manual machining level and getting good at it you do view CNC in that light just because of how much work was involved in making a part on a manual machine with a crappy digital readout and dull high speed steel lead mills, <laughs> <laughs> and so th- there was a certain challenge, but I knew that that's not really where I wanted my life to be. I learned some good skills, learned a lot of, you know, jig grinding and honing and, you know, just some good foundational um, steps. And then I moved, so I moved on to a CNC shop and like most machinists, I bounced around shop to shop. What, what really prompted me to move into other shops was, you know, okay, I'm obviously at the top of the ladder that I'm going to climb. Not that I ever, you know, made management, but it's like, you're an operator. We hired you as an operator. You're going to stay as an operator. And so it's like, okay, I'm not going to be learning anything more for a few years at least. And the pay sucks. So time to, time to find something else. And so I did that. And then I ended up at a shop in Southern Maine. So sorry, I should have skipped, should have mentioned that. I'm located in cent- eh, almost Southern Maine, almost central Maine, northeasternmost state of the United States. I've lived here all my life. I'm 43, 43 years old. I had to think, <laughs> had to think for a minute. You, you get to a point where it's like, yeah, I think it's my birthday this month, and let me do pull out a calculator. How old am I? <laughs> well, I've noticed, too, since going full-time in my shop, that time really has a lot less meaning when you're mm-hmm. your own boss. Yeah. Like, I'll yeah. very often have to think, like, what day is it? Oh, that's right. It's Thursday. Like <laughs> absolutely. My wife will be like, "Honey, do you need anything today?" I'm like, well, "What's what's today? Oh, it's it's grocery day. It's Friday." And it's like, "Oh crap! Today's Friday." So, so I ended up at a shop in s- real Southern Maine, and I loved it. Top notch aerospace company, defense company, and it was just epoxied floors. Deltronic, you know, we, we had a list, that we, well, I say had, they still have it. They've got, you know, wall-to-wall list of cabinets of Deltronic pins from 10 thousandths all the way up to inch and a quarter. And it's like, if we don't have it, we're going to get it for you for tomorrow. You know, bore mics and CMM spread everywhere. And while well, this tool didn't work, so let's try this. And just really, really, really good. But the commute sucked. And I did it for six years wow no eight eight years i did it for eight, I, I did it for eight years and i finally was like I, I can't do this anymore and so the owner was like well quit your bitch and get some balls and go start up a shop and i'll keep you busy and wow so, how cool yeah he, he he was really good about it and so that's what i did and so i i bought the mount Sura and i did some you know fixture work for them but i Landed some other customers that had less less pressing tolerances, and it's like a 1982 Matsura can only do so much, and it's like it just a little bit beefier than like a Tormach. It had a tool changer, it had coolant, but but it, it made money, and so was that a Tiger? It, was like no, a... it was the uh, MC 500 V2. Okay, so it had the it had the eight K spindle or the ten K spindle, and it was a BT. BT35 taper. Those tool holders were hard to find. Yeah. They were just, you know, they're like only used by routers now. Because I know we had a bunch of Kitamuras at my first job that were all 35. And like, I thought that that was industry standard, you know, starting in that (laughs) shop. And I start getting, I'm like, 
nobody's ever even heard of this. They're like, yep. do you mean BT30? And I'm like, no, 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 no 35. 35. They exist. They yeah. exist. Here it is right here. It's not a 40 and it's not a 30. It's right yeah. in between. And so it it was good. So so I bought the Matsura while I was still working at that shop. And they, they were totally cool with me, you know, having the side gig. And they passed me fixture work. I know you know, for like two months straight, all I made for them was vice draws because they could buy the material and pay me for cheaper than what they could get anywhere else. And I was like, sure, I'll, I'll make vice draws all day long. Right. It's work. <laughs> it's easy. You know, it was work. It, it was gone. easy work. Exactly. And and then they started floating some other work towards me, f- fixture work, and it was good. And a year later, I went back to my boss because he was still my boss and i said you know is the offer still on the table to go you know full bore and he's like yeah okay i said okay what do you what do you want from me for a machine you know you have certain work that you want to sub out and he says i i want you to get a a mori dura vertical with the fourth axis probing and high pressure cool i'm like fuck 150 grand that's gonna so i go back to the wife and i say honey I know we spent 120000 on our house. So hear me out. I've got this idea. <laughs> we got to double down. <laughs> and so, and, and, and she was supportive of it. She saw the, the toll that it was taking. You know, I was, the commute by some American standards wasn't too bad, 45 minutes one way. But you add that up, and that's eight hours a week, nine hours a week. And yeah, that's I was, a lot. I was, I was leaving the house at, 4 30 5 o'clock in the morning Ooh. and i was getting home at 5 30 6 o'clock at night and it was and they don't listen to this podcast so i i feel comfortable saying the the other aspect of going on my own the commute was a big part of it but wages in that industry in that area of maine were just were crap you know Seth, you know, you did a really good job this year. You kept free machines going and you saved all this money for us. Here's here's 50 cents. Right. I'm like, really? Yeah. Well, you know, you're, you're at the top of your pay scale. Like, no, I'm not. Right. <laughs> no, I'm yeah. not. I'm making like 20 bucks an hour and I'm humping and I'm right. cranking parts out. And it's like, and so so that, that really fed into it. It's like, you know what? If I'm going to be busting my ass for, you know, 60 hours a week, I'd, I'd like to see something more from it than just, you know, an $800 paycheck. And so that, that was a huge factor. And so bought the Mori, worked another year with the Mori in my garage and at my day job, just because I, I was very, I didn't, I didn't have the confidence to just jump in and do it. I had the confidence that I could do it in terms of tolerances and productivity but the bank account wasn't at an area where it's like, okay, I can, I can weather, you know, a two week gap in work or, or, you know, if something breaks, I can pay for it. And so I, I wanted to have a certain number in my bank account for the business before I just said, screw it, I'm done. Right. And I finally hit that about a year later and went home and it was October, mid-October, five years ago, six years ago. And it's been, it's been gorgeous since. A lot of work. I think if I had one piece of advice for anyone thinking about starting up a shop, don't kid yourself in that you're going to work 20 hours a week or 30 hours a week, unless you come from a um, comfortable background where you have, you know, some serious savings or a spouse that is going to pick up the slack, because the pressures hit when when, when you're shelling out. 2800 bucks a month for a machine payment it, it eats up savings very quickly oh, yeah. and make sure the other piece of advice I, i'd have for anyone starting up a shop is make sure your spouse is on board fully on board with what you're about to undertake because a machine shop is there's some serious overhead and that money has to come from somewhere and so unless you're independently wealthy or you've worked, you know, all your life to save up money for this idea. It's going to require serious commitment on your part. You know, I, I often joke with my, I, all my my brothers and my brother-in-law, they're all into construction, 
And it's like, I look at my tool cabinet where I've got all my admin stored and like, dude, I've got more money tied up into that tool cabinet than you have in your truck and your trailer combined. Yeah. My favorite <laughs> so, game to play with my wife is, uh, how much do you think this costs? Cause I'll get a, a little <laughs> box of like end mills or something and be like, all right, what do you think? She'd be like, I don't know, like $30. And I'm like, no, 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 no. It's like, here's a thousand dollars worth of tooling. And she's like, yep. you know, lose her mind. Yep. Yep. And the nice thing is, is that you do get to a point in the shop where it's like, yeah, that vice is a thousand bucks. I can buy two. I'll, I'll buy one for now and see how it works out. And so you get to a point where all of that hustling and really pounding the hours and socking away money, <clears throat> it really does pay off in the in the long run. So to circle back to that girl that changed my career choice, I did end up marrying her and we've been together for 20, it'll be 22 years in May. So pretty Congrats. excited about that. Thank you. We have six, six children together. Our oldest is 20, and our youngest just turned 10. Hopefully one of them might have an interest in machining, but if that happens, great. If not, great. Uh, I think it's important that kids search their own path and not try to fit into the mold that the parents want them to. That's not to say that I won't try to encourage it, because I certainly am going to <laughs> encourage it. It's like, no, damn it, one of you guys are going to do it. Right. But, but I'm not going to be you know, hard on them. Here it is. It's an option, you know. And if if they take it, great. So, so yeah, that's. I think that's a fairly com- comprehensive overview of Liberty Machine and Seth Okay. Door. And then, so I was rewatching your NYC CNC shop tour. That was to awesome. kind of prep for. That. I, I like. We've got a lot of questions for you, but also I wanted to kind of talk about a few things that stood out to me from that process reliability. I know you've taught a class on like morality in machining and I mm-hmm. wanted to go into like morality and QC just in general, because sure. so like my, my last job before I went full time, I actually started in quality there. And mm-hmm. I tell everyone who will listen to me that like, I learned more in the year, year and a half in quality about being a good machinist than I ever did on the shop floor, just mm-hmm. because you learn like every little thing to look for. And Absolutely. Like it's, it's those little finishing details that, you know, aerospace comp- companies will find on their mm-hmm. receiving inspection. Yep. So what kind of QC do you have? Like what kind of equipment? And, okay. you know, what- I, I'm glad you started with QC. The three topics you, you brought up, the process reliability, QC and morality. You know, those three things are, are very de- dear to my heart, passionate above, about them more than, you know, I don't care about material removal rate of a, of a machine. It doesn't matter to me. I don't care, you know, oh, I shaved two seconds off or I put this automation in. That's fine. But if all your parts are junk, then what, what good does it do? I'm kind of, I'm dismayed at times when I see people with, you know, DM, DMUs or, you know, a Haas 5X, you know, pick pick your high-end machine and, oh, what do you have for inspection equipment? Nothing. It's like, oh, I got these calipers. And it's like, dude, you know, if 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 you have control of your own product, it, it doesn't matter so much. But if you're doing work for other customers, you need to verify it. And it's like, well, you know, you might want to consider putting money into quality control. So to answer your question, I have a Mitutoyo comparator, Mitutoyo digital height gauge. I have a Brown and Sharp manual CMM, and I have a Brown and Sharp automatic CMM uh, that runs PCDMS 2021. Oh, I didn't know you had an automatic one since yes. the video. Yep. That's yep. awesome. Yeah, I picked it up. It was a price that I couldn't pass up. And it was like, I don't want to spend that much money. It was it was 10 grand. I don't want to spend 10 grand in one shot, but but damn, a CMM, an automatic CMM for 10 grand, I cannot pass that up. Yeah. And so I, we bought it. And the, the worst part about it was that the previous owner had not paid the service maintenance agreement on it for like eight years oh, and, oh, <laughs> yeah. oh. and and brown and sharp were like wow you need to pay up all that money yeah and so we 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 did not do that You're like how about i just buy a license of 2021 like well we went back to brown and sharp and it's like look if we'd have owned the machine eight years ago we'd have been paying it so we don't feel that it's just that you penalize us for that whole period of time 
And so they, they charged us for two years instead. So for four grand, we brought, brought ourselves current and I tell you what, they've been really, um, really good pieces of equipment to have in the shop. Um, so, so I've got then, a go manual CMM almost exactly like yours. It is very nice reflex box. It's a few years older than yours. So it doesn't okay. have the fine adjusts, which I hate uh-huh. and it doesn't have the, uh, Z mouse on it, but okay, we got it for <clears throat> the steel of the century. So I can't really complain. Like we, that, that's awesome. We paid a hundred dollars for it. And then I think a thousand dollars for the plane ticket and U-Haul rental to get it back. Get out. That's yeah. awesome. So that's it was awesome. Well worth it. You know, d- Ab- despite its shortcomings. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Unfortunately, the Z mouse on mine doesn't work. Apparently there's a wire that goes up through the mast and they're known to short out and learn to learn to live with it. It, it worked for like the first two months that I had it. I was like, oh, this is nice. And then it crapped out. And I know the, one of the service guys for Hexagon and he, he does work on the side under the table. And so he's, he's kept me going with, you know, Hey, I got this part that broke. Can you, he's like, Oh, let me dig through my scrap bin. And so it's been, it's been really good there. But, and then, and then I've got the usual assortment of Deltron of gauge pins and internal, external mics, indicators out the wazoo. Which uh, so, auto CMM is it as a five, seven, five over it's or what size, I guess is what I'm asking. It's, it's, it's the same size as my manual. Okay. Basically just my manual machine with a servo box slapped onto it. It's got a lights controller. I think it is. I think it might have like an inch or two more travel, but roughly the fit, the footprints of the two are the same. And so, so yeah. Oh, going back to the overview of the shop. So I, I started in the 900 some odd square foot building. And then last February, well, right at the beginning of COVID, when COVID hit, I think like a lot of the country was like, holy shit, this could be seriously bad. It turned out it wasn't, but it could be seriously bad. And at the time, you know, I had employees, I still do, and they were coming into my house to use the bathroom. And I was like, this needs to stop. And so I looked into putting a bathroom on my garage and it's like, you know what, I'm going to be into it 30, 40 grand with the permits and the septic work and how much would it cost to put an addition on with the septic? <laughs> and so what started out was just needing a bathroom. I, I rejected the idea completely of a porta potty. I was not having a porta potty outside my shop. It's like, let's put in a bathroom. Well, if we're going to put in a bathroom. How about we put up more square footage? And so last February, we broke ground on a uh, 1,400 square foot addition which gave me the room to move all my all my mills so my two mills and my lathe that got moved out into the new shop with with the bathroom and that's <laughs> so nice dude yeah Have, having a bathroom in your shop you know it's like here here we are it's america it's the, you know it's the year 2022 and you have this guy on your podcast bragging about a bathroom hey but i, I like, share a bathroom <clears throat> with all of my suite mates in my line of, of, you know, buildings. And yep. I can't wait until we can have a shop with our own bathroom because Ab- absolutely ha- half the time I go in there and I like wretch and I'm like, I think the people <laughs> next to me are going to die if this is what's coming out of them. And I'm very ready to yep. just have our own bathroom that we can keep oh, yeah. clean and stuff. Yep. And, and so what started as a bathroom blossomed into a full blown machine shop, well, full blown addition. And, and so, <laughs> Where, if if you've watched the NYC video, you've seen where the Mori was. So the wall behind the Mori is where my shop is attached to now. And so it's just like this, you know, this trailer park type compound where it's like one trailer park is parked to the next, gets parked to the next. But it it works, man. And so we ended up butting it up against the side of the building tied it in so it's it's, it looks you know it looks well finished and professional so there's no there's nothing you know sketchy about that and uh, knocked down the wall where the mori was at wheeled all the machines out put the wall back up with this little passage door and yeah so i say all of that just to say that my inspection equipment now has an area where it's clean I don't have coolant spraying on it. I don't have all this deburring dust because everything. So it's there's a separation now. Inspection right. over here, and all my manufacturing and deburring is over here. And 
the the maintenance costs of the equipment have dropped dramatically because of it. I bet. Yeah, I, so. I, we have an office, but it's like a drop ceiling office that's just in the warehouse space. Mm-hmm. And I think the previous tenants were uh, carpenters. Okay. Because we, I mean, we vacuumed the top of the roof and everything, <laughs> but like there's still just dust everywhere. I've got like air purifiers in there to kind of mm-hmm. mitigate that a little bit, but like we just sure. got an optical comparator and now it's like, yep. uh, you know, I just, I want to keep everything clean. I want it nice. Oh, yeah. and it, it's definitely tough when you don't have that separation. So that's great. Absolutely. I'm really glad to hear Absolutely. that. Yep. Well, let's get into process reliability then. What, what do you do to aid in that besides, you know, not going balls to the wall all the time? So like I, I tell my, my employee and, I would rather have a dozen parts sitting on the tray for the customer than 16 parts and two of them are bad because even though I've made more good parts, it's customer supplied material nine times out of 10 and they give, they give me like three or four pieces extra. And so I've already used up all my spares. So I would rather they're paying me enough for me to take the extra two minutes to add probing, to make sure that the fixture cannot be loaded the wrong way, or the part can't be loaded into the fixture the wrong way. Or if it can, I have probing that checks to make sure it was not loaded the wrong way. And so process reliability to me means making sure that nothing, that you've removed all possible steps where the operator, I hate the word operator, where the machinist can make a mistake. And then we have strict protocol about, okay, we changed a tool. We're going to inspect all of the features that that tool did. A lot of the tools we change proactively because of the, the tolerances that I work to, you know, one thou, true position, five tenths profile in three dimensions, some pretty tight stuff. And pretty much everything we do is stainless steel, which does equal a rather hefty tool belt because by the time the job is done, throw them all away and start over again. So process reliability is probing out the wazoo, CMMs. We've got automatic programs for pretty much all of our common parts. We'll do a spot check on the manual machine just because it's like, oh, the automatic's running this other job from the lathe and let's just come over here and do a spot check. And so there's strict inspection protocol. So every 20 pieces, first piece every morning, first piece after your lunch break because the machine's been sitting for a half hour. So all of this gets documented in a manner that the customer can digest. Yeah, that's process reliability. So then never, 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 never buy a machine without a probe. I completely agree. Cheapest money you're going to, it's like, damn it, I should have bought one. It's like, once you use the pro, it's like, oh, I can get by with a wiggler or a, you know, a 3D taster or whatever the hell they are. Like, no. If your machine has the option for a digital probe, get it. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and, I mean, I tell people the same thing with tool setters too, like as a, you know, small shop that gives me so much time back. Yeah, absolutely. Get get it, get one. It's like, you know, when you're running a 20,000 mil in stainless steel, do you want to stop at every MO to make sure that the tool's still there? Or you just want your machine to say, yep, tool's still there, good to go. Right. So for inspection, are your customers flowing down specific inspection requirements or is are they using ANSI sampling plans? Yeah. or they, they have sampling plans. They have their own ISO standard that they've determine what their frequency is going to be. So if it's like, you know, below 50 pieces, it's one in 10. If it's 50 to to 99, it's one in 15. And anything over a hundred is one in 20. But then, they, but, but then they may have, you know, if they've had prior issues with this part or the customer, their, their end customer has had prior issues with this part, they may have, you know, this one feature is checked every three parts. And so you've got, you know, you got 300 parts to make and that's 100 columns to fill out. So it, it's their own ISO standard. And then with a mix of uh, customer requirements. Okay, cool. Yep. And it's it all done in, it's all done in spreadsheet and Excel sheet. And we have my PCDMS tied into the, the spreadsheet. So any data that I inspect, I can go to my Excel, hit the populate button and it pulls out everything it needs and 
puts it where it belongs and it's really nice. Yeah. It's man. It's tough. Like I, I, (laughs) my business partner and I are like trying to put up, put off all that ISO stuff for as long as possible. Like thankfully none of our customers need it because I mean, we had an entire department, like, you know, you call it inspection, but it's basically like paperwork department. That's exactly what it is. I'm not ISO. My customer is, they are, and they're comfortable with including me under their umbrella. And as long as they're okay with that, I have no intention of going ISO. It's it's a nice badge to put on your letterhead and whatnot. (laughs) Right. But I've seen the paperwork side of things and it's like, yeah, I'm good. Here's my SO standards. I'll make the parts and they're going to be right. <laughs> That's right. it. Yeah. I'll handle calibration. I'll handle all that. You just trust that I gave you good parts. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Well, let's get into some questions. Joe from Cobra Frame Building asked, is there any reason I shouldn't consider a small Kitamura horizontal? Not that, you know, you have one, but he loves the package. He loves the way yep. you can upgrade the ATC and APC, but it sounds like your kitty has been cursed. <laughs> Yeah, the Kinemer, my kitty has to be a lemon machine. I've heard too many people that have had good results with Kinemer. And I personally would never buy a Kinemer. And I don't think, no, I know that's not because of the brand. The experience I had with the dealership of the Kinemer there in Massachusetts was completely abysmal. They were they were good up until the day after I signed on the line. Oof. And it was when the spindle failed, I thought that the spindle had failed because of my own mistakes. And so I just said, you know what? I'm not going to involve the manufacturer. This was this was Seth being stupid. I don't know if you ever saw my Instagram page that I destroyed a spindle probe. That was I remember that. I didn't realize that was a kitty. That was the Kitamura. Yeah, I took the program out of the Mori. It was running perfect, and I tossed it over onto the Kitamura, and I changed the tool number, but I forgot to change the H number. It's H30 in the Mori, and it's H24. And I was like two inches above the part. I was like, oh, good to go, and I hit the start button, and it was like, bam, right down to the table like, fuck. (laughs) <laughs> and then, like like two minutes later, my wife says, "Honey, it's time for breakfast." I'm like I have no appetite right now. <laughs> and you know, you know, you know, what are you gonna do? So you're just gonna, you're just gonna be like, "Well, shit happens," and you carry on. So so when the spindle failed, I thought it was because of that, and so I just had a spindle rebuild company come in and make an assessment, and they're like, "Yeah, it's toast." I'm like, "Yeah, no shit." So they, <laughs> when, when they when they tore it down, they're like, "Yeah, this wasn't mechanical failure. This was your your rotary union failed, and your coolant is mixed nicely with your oil." Oh, and so it was it was it was bad. They sent me pictures, and I went back to Packard Machinery. No, don't do business with them. I went back to Packard, <laughs> and they're like, "Those could be yours, or they couldn't be. We can't verify that." So they called me a they they called me a liar, and it was like, well, we weren't there to witness the removal of the spindle, so you're on your own. And it's Oof. like, all right, and so I will never do business with them again. If they'd have worked with me a little bit, if they'd have been like, yeah, that shouldn't have happened, and you know, they they could have called the spindle rebuild company to verify. But it was none of that. It was like we weren't there to verify, so we can't do anything to help you. Wow. And yeah. That was that was to me it was and so I, I ran into the owner at uh, East Tech and he's like, Hey Seth, didn't think we'd see you again. I was like <laughs> you're, never, you're never going to. I, I went I went up one side of him and down the other and it, it was it, it didn't solve anything, but it made me feel good. Right. <laughs> and so circling back, I would I would buy a Kitamura again, but I wouldn't do business with the company that I did business with. So if I had an option of getting it right from Illinois, I would do it. Right. For the hor- for the horizontal, gorgeous little machine. If you've got the work that fits into it, I would say it's a really good fit. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I, I know that you're not the only person though that has had bad luck with newer kitties. I mean, I know Sam at Venom Defense. I think he's been through a couple spindles and his has he really? H, HX 300. So I, I don't know. Like it, the first shop I worked in had 
13 or 14 Kitamuras from 83 to 95. And like wow. we made, you know, good parts on them all day, every day. I think they made a, a serious mistake going to Mitsubishi from Fanuc. I mean, I understand sure. why, you know, I know options are a yep. lot cheaper for Mitsubishi and better memory and a more modern yep. control, but yep. yeah, it's just, it's frustrating to hear because like our first machine at Proteum was a used Kitamura and we loved it. Like <laughs> it was amazing. Sure. So sure. it's definitely tough. And, and yeah. my local dealer, I'm, I'm not too happy with them. We, we, we didn't buy anything or use any of their service, but like they just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. So sure. Yeah. Sure. I, I'm kind that, of the same boat. That's, that's a huge thing. You know, for all of the negative that I had with Packard, looking at my deuce on with able machine, they're also out of Massachusetts night and day. It's just been like service beyond my expectations. And I had a bump on the lathe as lathes tend to. And I wanted, I, I thought I knew how to bring a turret back into alignment, but I figured it would be better to pay someone to come in and just watch. And so I'm paying you for instructing me. Right. And in doing so, they found some other issues that were not my fault. They were there from, from assembly, machine assembly. Oh. And some, yeah, a, a set screw had the head broken off of it. And <laughs> it took him a day to remove it. And <laughs> I'm like, oh, God, this is going to be so expensive. This is going to be so expensive. And they were like, well, you know, we came in to fix your turret. We fixed your turret. This other problem, this was an assembly problem. We know you're out of warranty, but we're just going to call it good for the one day. Wow. Oh, oh yeah. Just like, really? <laughs> it's like, you guys have my business for life. Mean, so super, was, please go ahead. That was actually the second part of his question. He said, status update on the links. What a hot oh. machine. So let's go into the the buying and the, the decision to buy something. It wasn't one of my better ideas. <clears throat> I I love the machine. I would buy it again. But what happened was I had a firearms company come up to me out in New Hampshire. They're like, we're looking for a subcontractor. We've got work coming out of our ears. Like, okay, my mills are busy. Like, oh no, that's fine. We we need lathe work. Like, well, what do you what do you mean you need lathe work? Because you know people have different ideas of what a lathe is. Is are we talking a a four inch chucker lathe? Or are we talking a twin spindle, twin turret? And right. like, oh no, if 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 you had a a twin spindle with you know you know, main main sub C axis, you know if you, if you had that, then we could we could bury you like really. And so they showed me a whole, they gave me like 50 prints to look at, and it's like oh this is all work I can do. And so like I've got enough mill work that even if this doesn't pan out, it'd be good to have a lay. So I like I I looked at a few different options. I was, con- I was considering the Sigami MO8SY. But what I, I liked all of the machine except its controller was like six inches square, and it was the old style Fanuc where you had to have have Shift Alt to get to a different letter. And I'm the sort that's always monkeying around in programs at the controller. It's like I've posted out the code, and now I want to add a note to myself, and I'm not going to send it back. And, and it's like, can I can I pay more to have a bigger screen put on this no that's not an option like because i don't love buying it yeah and so i i drove down to able and i saw the the deuce on i i had obviously done my homework before looking at pictures online and youtube videos and when i saw the machine in person it's like this is it this is it and long story short that firearms company gave me some work but not nearly enough to justify the purchase of the machine and so I, I went to other customers and doing job shop work on it since then and love it. Super accurate. Make my adjustment in the morning, turn it on, drop it eight tenths and every couple of parts back it off a couple of tenths until it gets back to zero. And then all day long, it'll be within a tenth. Really, really no, I'm, I'm looking at it right now. It's behind me. And I think the only complaint I have is a slight ergonomic complaint and that's it's sized for a person of smaller build i'm mm-hmm. not fat or big but i'm also not a five foot asian dude right and 
the the parts catcher comes out right where your knee is when you're trying to set up the machine. And it's like, <laughs> if they'd have moved it over like four inches, I think that would have been nice. <laughs> but that, that, that would be my only complaint with the length. I, I guess another complaint is the BMT45 interface. Harder to get tool holders. They exist. They certainly exist. But they there isn't the diversity of options as there is with the, the next size up. What is that? BMT 50 or 60? I forget, I forget whatever the next size up is. But there's a lot more, you know, two times the speed or geared up or geared down holders. And they don't tend to exist so much. But get by with what you can. And you can always special order something and get it in three months. But Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. Let's see. So we had a few questions about phase converters. <laughs> Stove Dialer and CW Huffman both were asking, you know, what, how much single phase do you have coming into your shop? What kind of phase converters do you have? Did you have any pushback from, uh, looks like CMP, which might be central main power. Okay. And then, so yeah. So what's, what's yeah. the power situation with yeah. you? So <laughs> when I started with my first Matsura, I, I was rubbing pennies together trying to get a dime out of it. And it's like, how much was it going to cost me to run 100 amps versus 200 amps? And there was enough of a price difference at the time for me that, okay, 100 amps it is. And so I pulled 100 amps into my shop. Now, my, my house is a 1850 farmhouse. And so it's long. And so my meter is on the very end of the of the house and so that involved running through a crawl space and just nasty 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 and so, so i pulled 100 amps in and it, it worked good for my compressor and my Metsura. and then it's like well crap now i gotta put my mori in here and i hadn't thought that far ahead all right let's let's just go 200 amps so i dropped another panel brought in another 200 amp feed so now it's up to 300 amps and th that worked great I had my Kitamura, my Mori, and my Lynx running off of essentially 200 amps. All the machines were on the 200 amp panel, and the the rest of the shop was on the 100 amp. Now, anyone that's running some numbers knows that the plate rating on the machines is more than 200 amps. <laughs> but yeah. truth truth be told, they you know we, we put so so what we ended up doing was two inch face mill stainless steel, bury the cut. Let's put a meter on it, see what it's pulling for amps. It's pulling 31 amps. It's like, okay, so if I can put in a 50 amp breaker here, I'll be fine. And we did, we repeated that process with all the machines, full rapid, full RPMs, full, you know, everything we could do. And we really couldn't get the draw to be over 30 amps. And so, like, it's not kosher. It's not going to be good if, you know, someone came in to inspect, but hey, take, take my chances there. Right. And so when I moved into the new shop, it's like, okay, I've pulled two services. What do, what do I want to do now? And so I talked to CMP, my, the main power company, and they, they were fine with, you know, pulling more power. And they suggested that I, so I've got a telephone pole in my backyard now with this transformer right on it. And I've got, I've got, so I've got 300 amps in my old shop and I've got a new, I've got two 200 amp panels in my new shop. And so I've got, to answer your question, I have 700 amps in the building Holy on, cow! On, on two different meters. And so it's like more than I will ever need. I've thought about condemning my old 100 amp, but it's like, it's there. It's not hurting anything being there. So let's just leave it and see, you know. Because who knows, maybe in two or three years' time, I might have a machine <laughs> back in the old shop. Right. So then are you using phase-perfect converters? Uh, yep. I am using uh, phase-perfect uh, converters. The PT, PT30 and the PT380, they're both 30-horse phase converters. Um, looking at them now, it would have been better. I didn't... I, it was kind of every every time I did an upgrade, it was like, okay, how can I do this with the least amount of cash going out and the least amount of debt being incurred? And so it was just enough to get by. And so I looked at the the big ass, you know, 
hundred horse phase converters, and it's like I think they're like eighteen grand. It's like shit, I can't do that. And so every machine I brought in, I also brought in a thirty horse phase converter. And so I've got three three phase uh, thirty horse uh, converters, three thirty horse three phase converters. Uh, so phase one per machine. One per machine. Yep. Okay. They're all digital, beautiful machines. <clears throat> they do have a little bit of a temporality in the the, cap, the capacitors have about a one-year service life before one of them flakes out. You just have one on hand, or four, replace all four, have four on hand, replace it as needed, and, you know, it's like 100 bucks a year for the, the maintenance, and super quiet. They, they do throw off a fair amount of heat because they are, it's all electronics inside, and there is some heat output. If I was in a slightly warmer climate, I would have put them outside, but they have a they're comfortable starting up to about six or eight degrees. And we, in Maine, we do have some winters where we'll have a few days of <laughs> negative two, negative right. three. I think you posted that <laughs> yes. you were having issues with them, right? Yep, At one point? Yep, 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 yep. When I, when I brought my links in, it's like, I have no wall space to put this third converter. Where am I going to put it? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it outside. And it was like five o'clock in the morning. And I couldn't get the thing to turn on. So I went inside, got the wife's hair dryer, came outside and just sat there on a, on a ladder for <laughs> 10 minutes, warmed up the box. And after that, it was fine. And the things you do, it's, yeah. it's a, it's a constant stream of bootstrapping and doing, you know, just what you need to do to get by. And you don't always have the ideal arrangement and the ideal organization. And not everything is always ideal. And, learn to roll with it yeah definitely it's it's definitely a balancing act <laughs> that's for sure and then the, the last question i wanted to go over and, and leave to last because it kind of ties in with your expansion and, and new things is teddy tab four asked shop expansion versus relocation so <clears throat> you know was there a time last february or J january where you were like oh maybe i should just you know rent a place and have yes. a shop absolutely yep we had considered buying a commercial building or, or leasing. And we started to realize very quickly that I didn't, well, first thing was a lot of the stuff I was finding was four to 8,000 square feet. And it's like, that's, that's more space than I need. And we, so we looked for some that were already subdivided and I was back into a half hour commute to find something. I mean, just, I'm kind of in a rural area of Maine. You know, it's a town of 6,000 people. Sundays, the, the pizza place and the Thai food place are closed. So you got to go out a ways to get into, you know, you got to go out a half hour to get to something. And it's like, nope, I'm not commuting a half hour. So we looked into land and I was going to build a commercial building on land. It needed to have three-phase power and by the time all was said and done, it was like, shit, I'm going to be into this two, 300 grand. And it's like, I'm not going to be into that for an addition. Right. And so, so my, my plan is to just, let me back up a bit. And I figured that if I did the addition in such a way that it had some future use appeal. So now you have this big ass garage. It's a 32 by 40. 14-foot garage door, 13-foot ceilings attached to this really quaint-looking farmhouse on three acres of land. It's like I could, I, could, I could envision someone, you know, with a car collection or a motorcycle collection or more toys than he knows what to do with. You know, like, perfect. You want to work on your stuff? And so I didn't want to build a detached – and anyway – it seemed to be the most prudent thing for me to do was to build an addition that would fit all my equipment plus one, if there was ever going to be a plus one, and just call it good until the decision was made. Do I bring on more employees? Do I make this Liberty Machine Incorporated shipping worldwide? You know, I, I don't have those goals. If it's just me for 
the remainder of my working years, then I'm, I'm happy with that. If it's me and my son, if it's me and my, my employee, I'm fine with that. I have no lofty goals of going, you know, mega shop. I've, I've seen the stresses that come with mega shop and I would rather move into debt free, high revenue and just, I want to work 30 hours. I really do. I really do. And so long answer to your question is if you can do it on site and the, the town will let you do it or the city will let you do it, do it as long as you can, because that's an expense that you can do other things with. Right. Well, it looks like a gorgeous extension. I mean, I'm looking at the wood behind you and stuff yeah. like it, it looks, re- it, it came out really nice and it's well lit. I've got windows and it's like, you don't feel like you're in a machine shop. So many machine shops. I, I never understood it. So for all the good things that my last employer, my last shop had no windows, not a single window in the entire shop. And it's like, we're in here for 10 hours a day. It's like, this is miserable. Give us yeah. a window. No, no windows. Why? Right. Give yeah, us my, some sunlight. My shop has no windows. And like yep. we, we have added so much artificial light just to like yep. prevent that like depressing feeling. But even Absolutely. then, I'll go out and just walk around the parking lot for a little yep. bit just to be like, yep. oh, I need, you know, got some vitamin D. I don't feel yep. depressed yeah, ab- now. A- absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> it, it makes a big difference when you're, when you have no option but to work your ass off for long hours. The last thing you want is the added task of solitary confinement, no sunlight. You know, hell, pr- prisoners get, you know, their half hour of sunlight. <laughs> it's like, right. why can't I? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and so when, when I when I, put, when I put the addition up, it's like, nope, we're going with half light doors and we're going to go with a overhead door with a full strip of windows. And so it's it, it does increase the concerns for breaking and entering. Mm-hmm. But it's like, you know what? That's what insurance is for. And right. I, I'd, I'd rather have a sanity of knowing that I can see sunlight. I can see that it's raining. I can see that it's snowing. Oh, well, my kids are out in the yard. I can go and, you know, see how they're doing, see how they're, you know, does their bike need air in their tire or something? <laughs> you know, as, a, as opposed to being in this coffin, this big ass coffin. Exactly. So going back to your, your shop, you kind of mentioned, you know, bulletproofing fixtures and all that. How much of your work is continual production versus you know prototypes job shop none of my work at this point is continual production it's all job shop work very high how do i phrase this i've reached a point with my customers that the work that i do is repeat work and so i have all the documentation i have the tooling i have the fixtures on a shelf or in a drawer and it's like oh we're doing this part number again yay good job and so pull out the jaws, put them in the, in the vice, indicate them in. And so a lot of it's repeat work in it's small quantity, usually in the 30 to 200 piece range. I, I say that, but I, I do have this job now on my lathe. It's a thousand piece job. And it's like, yeah, I, I love it. I love it. Let me, let me go get it. That's a lot of work. Oh, it's gravy. That's Absolute great. gravy. Absolute gravy. <laughs> I love it. I could do this stuff all day long. So. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. It almost looks like the fuel caps around for like exactly. a motorcycle. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. It's not, but it's for an optics company and uh, eight minute cycle time and rough finish done. Boom. It's like, sweet. That's Sign great. me up. Do you have any probing in your lathe or is it just the tool setter? Just the tool setter. Okay. I would say that's my one complaint about a lathe. So historically speaking, I'm a mill guy. I've run mills all my life. I've run, I have run nine axes. So a Mori NTX 2000. Mm-hmm. Loved the, loved the machine. Big machine, man. If you've never seen one of those up close, it's like, it's like 22, 24 feet long and 10, 10 feet tall. And gorgeous machine though. 70 tool carousel on a Capto C6 lower turret twin spindle i loved it i loved it and what i so that that was actually my first experience setting up and running a lathe was on the nine axis talk about you know going into the deep end but it was it was so nice because you had the capto c6 tool holder and so all of your turning tools you never had to worry about tool collision and you know oh shit if i have 
this boring bar here, then I can't come in with this tool here because it's going to hit the chuck. And so I would say that's my one complaint about lathes is like, you don't have the space. <laughs> you right. don't have the space. Yeah. And so, so it, it just, you know, it's just something that I know I suck at and I'm willing to admit that. And I just need to get better at forecasting. Okay. Well, if this tool is here, then this tool can't be here. Long story short, I wish I had a B axis lathe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not a lathe guy either. I'm 100% a mill guy. Like I've done some lathe work here and there, but my guess is that we'll end up with like a five axis before we end up with a lathe, just for sure. the type of parts we do. Sure. Actually, getting into shop news and new things, we kind of talked before this about IMTS and all that. What's new in the shop? And then what's the future? You know, you mentioned that you, you built enough room for everything plus one. Do you have a, an ideal machine for your next machine? Do you have any idea of what that would be? It's going to depend on um, my ideal machine without consideration of what my customers need would be a five axis. I really like the Dusan DVF series. It's a gorgeous machine. I've seen it. I've seen the work that they can do with it. I kind of have a, an affinity towards Mori, but Mori is changed from the Mori that I dealt with. And so the, the relationship has, you know, become non-existent, not, not negative. It's just, you know, ceased to exist. So Dusan will probably be my choice. I'd love to get a five axis. However, you know, if my customers keep on giving me work, then it's like, man, a horizontal would be the answer. I saw that video that Saunders put out of his horizontal. It's like, oh, dude, you did it. It's like, that's what a gorgeous machine. And so I have room for a two-pallet horizontal in my shop if I wanted to go that route. So it's going to depend. I've got, I've got some personal projects that I'm working on that may or may not become something. And... It's, it pains me to say that the horizontal might be the solution. It's like, but I want a five <laughs> axis and I want it now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, so but yeah, that... I, I, I know that if I had consideration for my, my main customers, I think the five axis would be the answer because I know they are always backlogged on their five axis department. So it's like, Personal needs would be a horizontal customer needs and personal interest would be a five axis. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm lucky that my personal interest and my customers right now at least are aligned. <laughs> by, I, I've said it before on the podcast, but like this, the first six months of this year, we decided to really focus on like automating our workflow. So we just bought paperless parts for quoting. I'm working really heavily on getting my post dialed for fusion and mm -hmm. you know templates and all that because I, I I had this realization one night where I was sitting in the shower, you know, thinking about machines and you know, as you do as a business owner every hour of the day, and realized I was like, Oh, if I dropped a five X on my floor tomorrow, I'd have one or two machines just shit sitting, waiting for yep. me to program them. And I'm yep. like, That's that's dumb. Like I shouldn't be paying for machines that are just sitting. So absolutely. Unfortunately, I had to listen to business owner Dylan, not machinist. Wants well, fun toy, but it, yeah, it was, we'll, we'll get there for sure. <laughs> and, and honestly, if 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 I had my way, I would probably dump the Kitamura and bring in the five axis, just because it's like I can always use a five axis to do all of the work I'm doing as a three axis machine, right. and it's like. But I have to convince my wife that that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, a nice thing is your Kitamura has a new spindle on it. So, you it know, does. It, it does. should be a, an easier sell. Yep. Yep. So is there anything else new that you've been working on as far as, I mean, you've obviously completed your expansion. Any other new things? So for anyone listening that's ever moved from apartment to apartment, how long to does your stuff stay packed up? Because <laughs> yeah, so I, I moved. I, I I moved my shop all of thirty feet, and I still have stuff that needs to get organized. And it's like, so I'm currently working on that. I sh I, I don't know what the big deal is. It's not like I've been working eighty hours a week or anything. <laughs> so so I, I still have organization to do. I still have. I haven't decided where some benches are going to land. There. They're working where they're at, but I'm not pleased with them. So there's going to be a little bit of rearrangement going on. Starting to look at vibratory tumblers. I've got one project I'm working with that's like 
I'm losing too much in handy burring. Handy burring's nice, and you can get that crisp edge, but it's like I'd rather have a machine do it for me if I could. Yeah. So I'm starting to do some research into vibratory tumbling, and it's, well, a, it's, a, those, it's uh, yep. the rotary tumblers too, the centrifugal tumblers. Yes. Those I've got a customer with one, and then Kelvin Urban Survival Gear has one, yep. a couple. And man, those things, I, I've looked heavily into those because like I, I've got a small enough shop where if I had a vibratory tumbler, I think I would rattle all the teeth out of my skull. And that's, yeah, that's been a concern. It's like, well, you know, I can put it in the other shop, but now that puts it closer towards my CMMs and it's like, shit, you can't do that. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so, so yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the, so the debarring and best organization solutions and about it i think i need to replace my comparator sooner rather than later i bought it used and it served me well but i want a one-tenth resolution on my digital and i'd rather have something with a bit more computing power this one is just a simple two-axis dro i want to be able to you know calculate bolt hole circles and mm-hmm. radii shit like that yeah so, so the one we just got can do all that and I've, i'm like I, I knew what brand I wanted before we bought it. it yep. it's, an, it's an OGP, which I think okay, yep. of the ones I've used, I think are the best ones on the market as far as accuracy and, you know, capabilities. And man, if I had the money, they have a new, it's a combo optical comparator vision system thing. Oh, nice. That like the, the mast in front of you actually swings away so you can fit even bigger parts on it. No way. Yeah. And it, I think it'll do full CNC movement and actually run programs where it'll pick up bolt holes and ch- chamfer sizes and all that and then plot That's them. That's nice. That is yeah. nice. It's not cheap. I think yep. the quote I got was like 40 or 50 grand for the smallest one. Mm-hmm. But man, if I, you know, <laughs> sparing no money, that would be the one I would get in a heart. Sure. Because I, I saw it and I was like, this is the future. You know, if OCs. Yep. yep. Yeah, there's some really nice stuff out there if you're willing to part with your capital. And <laughs> so I've always been on the other end of things. It's like, how cheap can I go and get it serviceable? And so when I bought my comparator, I bought it used. That and my CMM was like eight grand for, for the pair. And it's like, all right, it's going to work. And it, it's gotten me by. But you get to the point where it's like, you know, you, you buy the, the cheap work boots for so long before you just say, screw it. I'm going to go buy the good ones. Yeah. Because you can now. Yeah. So. Now the, the OC we bought, I think we paid three grand and then another thousand dollars in shipping because it was in New York, but it was clearly in their outdoor storage area. So everything that's not stainless was rusty or had mm-hmm. some surface rust. So I'm going through and like we replaced all the fasteners today. And like, I've got a little bit on the X stage that needs to be replaced. But I mean, I, I checked some gauge blogs and, and they were all within two tenths, I think. Yeah. I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm happy with this. And it's got the yep. forward illumination. And Very nice. That, that's that was like the, the last thing I really needed to feel super confident because there's there's always, like I've had to go borrow customers OCs for like a couple jobs here and there where I'm like, hey, mm-hmm. can I come check this radius on your, your OC real quick? Yep. Well, I think you kind of mentioned it too. I, I realized I missed Tom at Inspiration Metalworks question. He said, why have you been so quiet? But, you know, you kind of answered it with 80-hour weeks and moving shop and yeah, all that stuff. I, I had seen that question, and there there is more to it than that. And that was that I kind of got burnt out with social. There wasn't a lot for me in terms of I can't post anything i do and it pisses me off because sometimes it's like oh my god i can't believe i figured this out i I had this one part think of a paper clip literally the size and shape of a paper clip with insane tolerances on it and i had to machine it and i i was struggling with some some denting that was only showing up under a microscope and i i finally figured out what my what the solution was and i was so like ah yes finally and it's like who am I going to tell about it? No one. Right. Yep. <laughs> so now I've just told the whole world, but I didn't show the part. And so yeah. th- there, there was so little that I can share, which, which is kind of disappointing because I do like posting the stuff I do. I I, I'm right I, there with you. <laughs> I, I lament very often on the podcast. Uh, like I think if I look, I haven't posted since 
I post like maybe a couple times a year and like I do more <laughs> stories than I do anything else because like I don't have to think about those way. I, I would say 90% of my work is all under NDA and it's like, yep. man, I, like I, I ran a part a week or two ago that I like tried two different ways and they both failed and I was, you know, up against the wire and finally yep. figured it out. And it's the coolest, one of the coolest parts I've ever made. And it's like, well, nobody's going to see this. That's cool. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yep. That, that's exactly, that's exactly where I'm at. And I made the mistake once of I, I showed I, I took a picture of the corner of a part just to show a feature. Within a half hour, I got a phone call from my customer who somehow someone in their organization saw me on Instagram and said, take that down right now. Like, fuck, it's just the corner of the part. Doesn't right. matter. We know it's, we know what it is and our customer will know what it is. Like, fair enough. Well, and, and what's funny though is like uh, you know you or I would get busted for that. Whereas I've seen people on like the Machinist Facebook group, yep, po- post entire parts that yeah. I'm like, oh, I recognize that because <laughs> I have also made that at different companies, and I know what the customer is, and they would not be happy with you. And yep. it's like I'm sure there's no repercussions there. It's like yep. you know it's so arbitrary sometimes. Sure, sure. Well, that brings me to the last question that I ask every single guest every week, which is, what did you research this week? And it can be anything under the sun, just, you know, what's been popping up in your search browser. So I've been researching motocross boots. I, I have a dirt bike. I bought it last year and I don't have good footwear for it. I just have my work boots and Tim Paul's like, dude, get some footwear. Yeah. T- Tim Paul is a guy at Autodesk. And uh, so I've been looking up adventure dual sport dirt bike boots because a, lo- a lot of the motocross boots are s- smooth sold mm-hmm. for motor- motocross tracks and kind of need a different footbed for dirt and rock and whatnot right so that and then tumblers and what else have i been looking up basically yep okay well i, I don't know if it transfers over but I, i've got a sport bike and my cd boots were amazing like yes. they I'm, I don't know, six years into them or something like that, five years into them. And they, but I'm at the point where if I could resell them, I probably should look into it. But yeah, I've been nothing but happy with them. And they've got that little ratcheting closure system. And I, I love that. I've got that on my gloves. I've got the, the Android gloves that have the, it's like a closure at the wrist like that. And then I've got those on my boots and it's super quick and nice and I love it. Yeah, I, that that was actually one of the brands I was looking at because they've got the Adventure Gore-Tex, so it's waterproof and it's like, oh, that's a nice food. It's also four hundred eighty bucks, and it's like, yep. yeah, <laughs> yep. okay. But then again, you know, what's it going to cost me to be out of work for a week because I just broke my ankle? Exactly, more, well, and that's than- why I bought them because I got in a pretty serious motorcycle accident. Actually, it was like ten years ago, last week. Okay. And the like, I had a jacket on, I had a helmet on, I had gloves. The only thing I didn't have was boots. I was wearing sneakers, yep. and I broke a bone in my foot. What? Not even a big bone or a big break, but I was hobbling around for months, and sure. I was like, "This is the worst." And so I yep. bought the nicest gear I possibly could. The next, I mean, granted, I bought another bike before I could walk properly because I'm an <laughs> idiot, and I was 20, you know. Yeah. But, yeah, I bought, you know, a, a full suit. I bought the nicest helmet, the nicest gloves, the nicest boots. I was like, you know what? It's going to last me a long time, and it's worth it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Well, Seth, I really appreciate you taking the time. I know that, like I said, you know, I, I know you're a busy guy, so I really, really appreciate you being able to come on the podcast. It's been great to catch up. You're quite welcome. I, I enjoyed it. I, I wasn't certain what to expect. I've never been in a long-form interview before, so it was certainly something I would do again, and thanks for having me. My pleasure. And real quick, Patreon thank yous before we grow. Graham, Ken, and Jonas, thank you so much for joining the Patreon. Help support the podcast and make episodes like this possible. And thanks everyone for listening. I'll be back next week. <laughs>